Hey folks, it's Jeff Fuzzy Wenzel from the Woodshed Agency, and you are listening to a new episode of Successfully Funded. Here we go. Let's turn it up. Turn it up. Yeah! All right, everybody out there in the land of crowdfunding, you are listening to Successfully Funded. I am your host, Jeff Fuzzy Wenzel. That's right. It's me. I'm back. It has been a about a 60-day hiatus from the podcast as we sort of refine ourselves, regroup, take deep breaths, and just look at what we're what we're doing here. Is this something we want to continue? And the answer is yes. Yes. So if you are somebody that has been a regular listener, I want to uh, I just want to say a big thank you for s- sticking with us through all of this and coming back and and listening to uh Project creators talk about where they are in in building these campaigns, raising the money they need, being an entrepreneur. Right? There's just so much that goes into these campaigns. It, it it's just, they're great stories, and I love talking to people. I love seeing how they got from A to Z or wherever they are in their journey, and I like to dissect that while their campaigns are active or just getting started or just finished up. So that's what we do here. So if you are listening. Take a moment now to to settle in, and, and we're going to be talking to kind of a, well we're, well, we're coming out of the gate a little bit differently. So today, we're going to be talking to uh, somebody that's getting ready to run a Reg A plus crowdfunding campaign. That means they can raise up to $50 million in crowdfunding. Uh, the company is Radiant Pain Relief Centers. Um, so we're going to be talking about chronic pain, which I know is probably not the most exciting topic in the world. I mean, chronic pain, you know, th- but... But uh, I talked to Brendan Ludberg, and we really got into the weeds on just what it takes to to work on an idea that is at such large scale, right? Try, like imagining the whole world could use this thing, right? Because a lot of people come to me and say that sort of thing, right? Where they say, um, oh, yeah, everybody wants my thing. And very rarely does that actually come true. Um, so this conversation is awesome. Brendan was a really great interview. So stay tuned. That's going to be coming up here in just a moment. All right, so what else has been going on around here? I mean, it's been a long time since I've I've kind of, I've sort of checked in. I want to kind of give you guys all like a big update. So last year was awesome as an agency. We scaled quite a bit. We brought on new employees. We brought on a ton of clients. We had some successful campaigns. We still had some campaigns that didn't hit their mark, but we learned a ton. And I think it was such a uh, you know it was it was in a great step back to just be in the moment of of what last year was, how we can make changes and move forward. So that was really what what these last 60 days have been about. And the podcast was a part of that, just kind of looking at it and going, how do we shape this? How do we make it better? Where do we go next? How do we get the interviews that we want? You know, and we and we we tried some things. And unfortunately some things uh, have fell fell through the cracks and I'll give you a reason why. So as I've talked about, my dad's been really sick, uh, so this is kind of that. Pers- we'll talk a little personal here, real quick. Um, and uh, well, we got bad news. Uh, my dad doesn't have much longer on this earth. Um, uh, in fact, not much longer at all. So we we really got a bad diagnosis. He is uh, he's not suffering anything like that, but it's definitely not looking good. Um, so we kind of just I, I wanted to bring some of my, our expectations down just a touch and really just sort of focus on you know what 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 
was working well. And in the podcast, it was just, I want to get to these interviews, right? Like, like this interview today with Brendan was fantastic, right? Um, we get into the weeds, we explore a lot of topics, we learn about what he's working on, we learn about how, it, you know, how he's managing uh, all of the stresses in his life. Um, and I just wanted to get back to those t- sort of conversations. Um, and, and just, you know, as we're sort of re- personally, like I'm reflecting on, on, you know, life, a lot of life stuff. Um, it's, it's just been, you know, it's been a heavy time around here. There's no doubt about that. And I also started to think too, on how much I enjoyed the podcast just for myself, uh, just to get this moment out, just to talk to people and just to, you know, to, to have a, voice and a place for some of these thoughts to go and I just want to again say a big gigantic thank you to all of my listeners out there too who you know are absorbing not only the information we're giving but also just being there for me to 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 go out and and be able to have a place to communicate I think that's a huge thing it's it is sort of a, a, a an odd therapy to some degree um and over the last 60 days I can say that I've honestly felt like I've missed that so with all that said, um, you know we're obviously taking the information about my dad, but we're we're, we're you know we're we're doing the best we can with it. Um, nobody really knows what to do in these sort of scenarios, and you just kind of take it um, one day at a time. Even though that's kind of clicheous, but you you know you just start you know actually doing some of the things you have in your head. I mean, I'll, I'll give you an example. I, my dad and I we don't talk very much. He's not he's definitely not a communicator. <laughs> um, you know, so I've just been thinking about uh, well. well things that need to be said, right? Like these, this is that moment where things have to be said. So how, what mediums do I use for that? So like I'm, I'm in the middle of working on a, um, like a letter, like a really nice written letter that I hope expresses a lot of my emotions and feelings with him, um, on his next journey. Um, and whatever that is, uh, I, I, you know, there's so many things you want to say that have never been said. So you're, you're in these moments of like, this, this is the time, right? <laughs> there is no, there is no tomorrow. Um, so a lot of that is what's been going on around here as well. So just in a nutshell, a lot of heaviness. It's just been really heavy and it's great to bring back the podcast, lighten it up a little bit, talk about things. Uh, now, granted, we start off with chronic pain right out of the gate and how to manage that. Uh, so I thought that was sort of serendipitous. Uh, is that the word? Serendipitously? Serendipitous? Uh, whatever it is. You guys all know that um, I struggle sometimes with the, with the big words. <laughs> but... Um, Okay, yes, so that is what's going on around here. So I'm going to be keeping these updates going. We're, we're getting back into the swing of things. We've got a bunch of great interviews lined up. Um, but before that, here's some things you can do for me. If you enjoy the podcast, please make sure you go over to iTunes, leave us a review, leave us five stars, four stars, whatever you think we're, we're earning here over here. We're working hard for you. Um, and that would be that would be helpful too. Make sure you go to check out the website, woodshed.agency. If you are thinking about running a crowdfunding campaign, no matter what, get in touch with me, right? We can at least have a conversation on it. That way I can sort of, even if you don't work with us, I can put you on the right path so that your your mindset's in the right place, right? Um, you've really got to approach crowdfunding with um, all hands on deck and you've got to be really focused on on, on the tangibles and and really hit your goals and your marks here. So, so set up a call with me. That would be helpful too. So those are your tasks for the day. And let's go ahead and kick into my interview right now with Brendan. Um, and we're going to be talking about equity crowdfunding. And we're going to be talking about RadiantPainRelief.com. Uh, All right, guys. Here's our interview. I've been so many times before been so high above And then came crashing down 
uh, red light syndrome where you just you just clamp up and just <laughs> cool let's start off with a quick sound check question um what did you have for breakfast this morning uh i didn't i had an intermittent faster so oh. uh, coffees and teas for me only I, tea this morning nettle tea nice is that uh is that a regular thing or as you just said you're fasting right now or, or it's a regular thing yeah most days i only uh have my first meal at about one and wrap up by about seven and then have longer extended periods of rest and digest okay interesting cool. so it sounds like there might be some science behind that uh, or is that just you read it online uh, i read it online so it must be true yeah, yeah. There, there it is pleasure. there it is sounds good though it's good <laughs> it's good you get that little rumble in there so that's cool yeah, uh, it, there is some, uh, some, yeah, quite a bit of emerging science around it, actually. It's pretty interesting. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Your body thinks it's dying, so it starts to repair itself and helps you live longer. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Okay, cool. Awesome. Well, let's jump right into it here. So why don't you tell my listeners a little bit about what, who you are and what you're doing? Awesome. Well, my name is Brendan Lundberg, and I'm the founding CEO of Radiant Pain Relief Centers. And we're working to change the way that chronic pain is understood and how it's treated. In the U.S. alone, there's 100 million people in chronic pain, which is more than cancer, diabetes, and cardiovascular disease combined. And similar numbers exist throughout the world. And we have this huge opioid addiction epidemic that's, you know, plaguing societies and robbing people of life and taking lives. I mean, and I don't know the 2018 numbers yet, but in 2017, 70, 72,000 people, I think it was, died of opioid overdoses. So... Definitely time for a safer, better solution to this big pain problem, and we're very excited to be pioneering and uh, bringing that to market. That's cool. And so, how are you involved in this? Like, what? Where's your background? You know, how is this something that you're taking on right now? Yeah. Well, my background has been primarily in healthcare-related business, um, so I'm not a clinician. My co-founder is a Harvard and MIT-trained medical doctor. And prior to, to founding the company, I spent a few years um, selling this device or trying to sell this device that's central to our business model and uh, found that doctors didn't understand it. And in most cases, there was an economic disincentive for them to adopt it. Uh, high acquisition cost and you know, high opportunity cost and integration challenges and whatnot. So uh, I just recognized kind of a, a unique opportunity around this therapy that is very safe and effective and built a different business concept, which essentially is a direct-to-consumer business. And, you know, a, a parallel I like to use, it, even though it's been in a completely different industry, is, is Starbucks. Mm-hmm. And Starbucks has fundamentally shifted society. I mean, they have changed the way that we think about coffee, the way we consume coffee, how much we spend on it, the role <laughs> it plays in our lives. I mean, they've shifted everything around coffee, and they didn't do it by selling a better coffee product to a local diner. They, created, they did it by creating an experience, by creating these stores. And, and that's our vision, too. We're building clinics around some very novel technology that's safe and highly effective, uh, no drugs, no needles, no surgery, no side effects. And rather than kind of trying to make it work inside of the frankly complicated and often fragmented and broken healthcare delivery system that we have, we're just going right to the consumer. We're building a better care model around it that allows us to deliver the therapy consistently, to build a brand, to educate, and to create a much higher level of customer experience. That's cool. So when, when you talk about... Um... And I think this, this applies to a lot of people who come at a very, very big idea, right? Like, you know, this is a gigantic idea. Where are steps one for this thing to actually be manageable and attainable, you know, when you think about how big and how, like the scale you're talking about right now? How, how do you focus it down to make sure that you're actually achieving smaller goals in that? Yeah, well, that's a great question. I think, I think for me, it was kind of... Um, 
kind of like that uh, Steve Jobs quote, stay hungry and dumb. <laughs> you know, like I was hungry. I wanted to start a business and I was dumb and I'm like, okay, let's, let's do this. And I, you know, the, the, the grand ambition initially was not really to become, you know, exclusive around the technology or we didn't really, I don't know that I fully believed that I had an opportunity the way that we now see that we have it at the time. Uh, I just thought I had a better, you know, kind of clinical delivery model for this therapy. And, um, but as we, as we got in, to it and as we learned you know both the learning and the opportunity and the challenge all kind of coalesced into help us to see this as a bigger picture and then you know and then it becomes you know necessity is the mother of invention and once you get pregnant in something like you're committed to that thing you know and like we saw it worked we saw that there was an opportunity and now it's like okay how do we continue to grow this how do we you know raise money into it and the process of raising money in particular has created some some unique learning opportunities and some kind of thinking around how do we grow the company in a way that's going to become sustainable and achievable? Um, you know, and then there's learning in terms of, you know, making it affordable without insurance coverage and, you know, creating operating efficiencies and, mm -hmm. you know, also, I mean, there, it, there's been learning all along the, along the way. And for me, you know, I guess to answer the question even more directly, you know, there's a huge, for me personally, there's been a huge personal development component to becoming an entrepreneur. You know, I think we watch Shark Tank where we, we, you know, we kind of see these really elite level entrepreneurs up on pedestals and they're like rock stars. And we think, oh, that's, you know, that's fun. And that's, that's, you know, something I aspire to. And I worked, you know, previously for two successful companies, Inc. Magazine, growth award winning companies, Portland Business Journal, growth award winning companies. I was intimately involved in the operations and growth of these companies. So I had the sense that I could do something great. Um, but, you know, when are you, when are you the CEO? When are you successful? Right? It, right. it happens in your mind long before it happens in reality. You know what I mean? You have to kind of espouse both the, you know, the struggle and the, you know, the, the satisfaction of what it means to be in that role long before you have a bank account that reflects it, or you have a staff size that reflects <laughs> it, or you have revenues that reflect it. I think. Right. Right. Well, let's talk a little bit about the, the tech side of this thing, because it's, that seems very intriguing. I mean, I was watching some videos and, and yeah, and frankly, I don't really know what I was watching. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I think this is, and I always try to go into these interviews in this sort of way, because I think it's a good opportunity to sort of like, how do you describe this to somebody who right now is listening on, you know, on a car and a train and whatever they're doing, yeah. how are you describing this to somebody on the tech side of it so that they're like, wow, that seems very intriguing. Yeah. Well, first of all, it's important to understand that the science of pain has changed significantly in the last 10 or so years. And it takes 15 to 20 for new science to really matriculate through the medical education system. And in, when, in the case of pain in particular, it's, it's more, it's, there's a lag even greater because we have industry that's built around certain therapies, drug therapies in particular, right? Mm -hmm. So most doctors are trained in biochemistry and we, everybody experiences pain. So we as individuals feel like we understand pain and we feel pain in the tissue. We feel it in parts of the body that hurt, obviously. But all pain, we now understand, is a product of the brain. The only reason that we feel any pain is because we have a brain, not because we have a knee or you know, a bad hip or whatever. Right. And pain in the short term is protective. It's there to say, hey, something's not right. You know, take your hand off the hot stove. You sprained your ankle. You've broken a bone. You have disease growing. Get your attention. Take action. Resolve that. Learn from it. Be safe. Stay alive. Mm. In chronic pain, however, it's no longer serving that protective or productive purpose. In fact, the brain essentially becomes wired to expect and to perpetuate the pain. So even though we feel it in the tissue, it's really a problem of the brain. 
But most of the therapies we've had available are addressing only the tissue. You know, there are injections, there's surgery, there's, you know, even massage and chiropractic, which are non-invasive, those are still addressing the tissue primarily, or they're a drug that has impacted the entire chemistry of the body and results in these side effects and risks. So with that understanding, what we do is we have novel FDA cleared technology that essentially allows us to retrain the brain through artificial nerve impulses. We attach electrodes on the skin in healthy tissue that's near the painful area, but actually that's kind of a point of kind of deviation from other electrical based therapies that are out there. We attach electrodes on the skin. We transmit new information through the nervous system. The brain receives that information. It essentially interprets it as a self-message, and it begins to ease the pain response. Hmm. The messaging coming out of the device is dynamic, and it's changing. So that causes the brain to have to work to interpret that, and that working on behalf of the brain is what causes the brain to start to change, which is neuroplasticity. So essentially what we're doing is not just masking the pain with a different sensory experience, but we're giving the brain new information. And then over a series of consecutive treatments, typically over a few weeks, about an hour a day for two, two or three weeks, the brain is exposed to this and essentially it learns. And you know, through neuroplasticity, like learning how to ride a bike or how to do algebra, through that repetition and exposure, the brain adopts a new, a new wiring essentially back to a more normal perception of pain. So we're able to achieve lasting relief for almost all types of chronic pain without drugs, needles, surgery, or side effects. No, it's pretty remarkable. Yeah, no, it, it really is. Um, you know, just on a personal level, I, we, I talk quite openly about a lot of stuff. And, you know, I think my, my, my dad has suffered from this. My wife's parents both have this chronic thing. Do you find that this is more associated with a generation or is it a type of person like, or is this something that like man 50 and older has dealt with this or they 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 have a different perception or is it like the opioid, opioid epidemic that we talked about earlier is it something along those lines yeah i mean we in our clinic we see people in their i mean we have right now a woman in her 90s and we have a kid that's 11 years old so i mean it is it is non I mean, it'll affect everybody. There's there's not really like a type. I mean, anybody can be potentially subjected to uh, to pain, obviously, and then to chronic pain in particular. But we now understand that pain is multifactorial. In the book, I wrote a book fairly recently along with my, my co-founder. And in the book, I make the analogy that we think of pain very cause and effect, like, oh, something is wrong. And in the short term, again, it's protecting us because likely something is wrong. Mm-hmm. But in chronic pain, it's not that way. And so a better analogy is to think about credit card debt. Let's say you get a brand new credit card with like a $3,000 limit and you start using that card for routine things like gas and groceries and school supplies for the kids. It's great. You have access to this credit. And as long as you pay the bank the minimum payment every month, you can keep using it, Mm -hmm. right? But if there's an event, like let's say the car breaks, you have to get a new transmission and that transmission costs $1,700, but you only have $1,500 of available credit on the card. Metaphorically, this is a painful experience. You have a big bill. You're now at or over your limit, so there's probably over limit fees. And if you were relying upon that card to buy gas to get to work or to pay your utility bill or to put food on your table because you don't get paid maybe for another week, then the impact, the circumstance of what surrounding that event has made much greater. And we think in this analogy, we think, oh, it's because of that car repair bill. And yes, the car repair bill was the tipping point. But if you didn't have all this other debt Mm -hmm. aggregation, you could have absorbed that bill and been just fine. The life would have continued, right? right? And pain works the same way. The nervous system wants to keep us alive. So it's recording all of these different events, injuries, stress, disease, environment, probably from the time of in utero. And it's recording those basically. And when we're healthy, 
it's like paying that debt off. You know, the, it can move through the system and everything is fine. But because of the lifestyles that we all live, you know, we're heavy, we eat bad food, we have stress, we don't sleep, you know, I mean, the environments that we're, I mean, all of these things compound together to create this circumstance, much like a credit card debt. Right. And then seemingly a, a simple injury or event, which otherwise would just heal and go away, becomes the tipping point at which we're now the nervous system has changed and we're over the limit of what our nervous system can endure. And now even normal sensory experience like touch or walking or sleeping or laying down, it starts to be perceived as threat and the, the body interprets it as pain. Hmm. And, and, you know, we pop a pill because that's a simple thing to do and none of us like pain. So it's like, give me the quickest fix, pop, right. we pop a pill. Well, that's kind of like drinking a six pack of beer to deal with our credit card debt. Right, we, right. We feel better about it in the short term, but it isn't really resolving the problem, right? And right. so what we do is we educate about the neuroscience of pain, the brain's involvement of pain. We empower people with this education. We treat them through our therapy so we can reduce that impact right away. And then it, it really starts a, a, a transformation in our clients where they go, oh my gosh, like I'm feeling so much better. I need to start eating better. I need to start exercising. I need to start addressing my sleep. I need to face some of these stressor, you know, triggers in my life, whether they're work or finances or family or whatever else. And then they start to have a big holistic improvement and they become educated about it, you know? Sure, sure. And is this mostly around some sort of physical pain at first, or is it something that it could be emotional? It could be some, a trauma that happened to you as a child or anything like that. Well, the mechanisms in terms of what's going on in the brain are probably very similar. Um, you know, we, we work specifically on, on physical pain, mm -hmm. but there's almost always some interplay between some physical pain, emotional pain, stress, uh, anxiety disorders, you know, and what, what was the, what was the first, what, you know, what came second? Sometimes it's hard to tell. Sometimes clients don't remember, don't really know these things kind of just emerge and, and then start to feed on each other, you know, right, so right. by being able to address and, you know, many times clients come in after years or decades, and they're very complicated. You know, they've had years of pain. They haven't been sleeping. They're withdrawn from their work and from their family and social circles. They're not intimate with their spouse anymore. You know, they're on a cocktail of medications and taking medications to counteract the side effects of the medications. And so when they come to us, like most doctors are like, oh my gosh, Miss, Miss Jones, like I'm, I don't know what to do. You know, right. good luck, live your life. And they come to us in this very kind of complicated and fairly broken state and we're able to address the pain component of that in such an effective way that it just simplifies their whole circumstance very quickly and it, again it becomes a, a kind of a cascade of reversal in terms of like now they're now they're back on a, on a train of you know empowerment and improvement and all that sure sure so you know you used a great analogy with the credit card debt is that something that you find in the sort of the, the marketing of this that you have to continue to find analogies to get people to to kind of simplify this in their brains for them to, to, to make this choice and to, and to get into what you're working on? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, we're, you know, that's one of the challenges is we are, you know, again, clinicians are trained in science from the 1960s. So they're lagging behind too. So it really is a matter of education and, and education precedes our ability to really create value for somebody because if they don't know what it is, you know, we're, we're not going to be able to, no matter how good it is or how cheap it is or whatever, we can't offer that value. So education precedes that. And so, you know, we're building clinics. And even if I had, you know, all the money in the world, that process of building clinics takes time, you know, to build the space and to hire the people and all that kind of stuff. So we wrote a book, my partner and I, as I mentioned, um, basically to kind of be the point of the spear and kind of get into the market and start educating people. And while we can't build those clinics overnight, we can enter this conversation, which is so urgent and so necessary. And that's why we wrote the book. You know, uh, it became an Amazon bestseller 
in the first week and Inc. Magazine called it a manifesto and an epic example of how to create a movement. And that's our goal is to create a movement. And so we're actually beginning uh, a big campaign to give the book away. You pay seven bucks to cover shipping and handling. We'll give you a free copy. You can get educated about what we do. If, if you like it, you can get involved as a client, as a potential clinical partner, because we're not going to sell the devices. We're going to create partnerships with clinicians in a market. So it's a passive involvement for them. Um, they keep doing what they're experts in day in and day out, but they can help help us. And um, and then we're raising money through the crowd. And so then anybody who says, wow, this is exciting. I'd like to be part of helping to frame the future of <laughs> chronic pain management. I can invest 500 bucks or 5,000 bucks or whatever amount is appropriate for them. And then we capitalize the company simultaneously to educating and creating you know, value in the market. That's awesome. That's awesome. So where are you guys then right now in terms of clinics and stuff? How, what, it, what does a sort of a launch plan look like? Is it something you focus on the West Coast and you're moving out or is it yeah. certain areas that you've kind of pinpointed like, I think people will get it here or how do you guys approach that? Well, you know, we, we're headquartered in Portland, Oregon, which is a beautiful city, um, but it's perceived by many to be kind of a weird place, which it is. In fact, there's a <laughs> motto, there's bumper stickers all over that say, keep Portland weird. And, and so, you know, I've had investors tell me, well, this works in Portland, but will it work in Dallas, Texas or California, right, right. Michigan, or Florida? And it will. I mean, this is, it's a very effective therapy. It's very appealing to those who need it. And there's a lot of people out there who need it. So it, I'm very confident it's going to work everywhere. Um, We've raised a couple million dollars privately. We're raising just a bit more uh, privately as well. And then uh, we filed with the SEC back in September to begin this regulation A plus crowdfunded mechanism. Um, Because the government is currently shut down, that's a little bit pending, but hopefully in the next 30 days, it's open and we we get approved pretty quickly. And then, you know, we, we begin this campaign really in earnest. Uh, We're going to be opening probably in the next 90 days, a center in Boston, um, and that's due to some local interest that we have there. Um, you know, LA, Florida, Texas, or Arizona are probably all on the, on the short list. And then just as, as rapidly as we can, it's going to be, ba- it's going to be a factor of, you know, clinical partnerships, because I, as I mentioned, we're not selling the device to the doctor and saying, good luck, figure out how to do it. Right. We're selling an opportunity to, to invest in a local center, have participation in that passively. And so as the interest from that grows, that will help us kind of frame once we, you know, we have you know, 10, 10 to 20 places that are kind of earmarked and identified, but, you know, we'll go where the opportunity is most immediately. And part of that is the capital that allows sure. that to happen. More sure. quickly. Yeah. So in an idea like this, what, what sort of keeps you up at night? What's something that like you think is a, you know, I'm sure there's a gazillion things that you could think of, but like, what is one thing though, that you're like, you know, this is our biggest hurdle in a project like this? Well, one of the biggest challenges I've had is that, um, you know, I, I made this analogy earlier, but I got, you know, we got pregnant in this business model that was working clinically. It was working from a revenue generation standpoint, but we've had a basically a pilot operation. So our business model is to have four devices in one center because you can fix a cost structure around that, but you can create enough volume of throughput and revenue that you can create a substantial business. Um, due to some some challenges with the manufacturing and a previous licensee and some lawsuit stuff that it, you know need to necessarily get into, uh, we've only had access to three devices. So I've been again pregnant with a business that has a cash requirement in terms of payroll obligations and you know wanting to grow and to start marketing and messaging a little bit and preparing to be able to grow once this lawsuit was kind of cleaned up. Um, that it's required that I continually raise money essentially just to burn. And that's a difficult spot to be in. And so that's probably been the single most frustrating thing. Uh, But at the same time, what it's done is it's proven to me personally, again, personal development has proven to me 
that I'm serious about this, that we're going to do it when it's hard and we're going to do it when it becomes easier because we know it's the thing to do. Right. It's proven to our investors. And, you know, I mean, when you're in a place where every dollar counts and you have, you know, again, mother necessity is a mother of, of invention. And so when you're really constrained, that's when you have to become very creative. When, if it's easy and like cash is just flowing, like you don't really think about stuff. Right. Yeah, so right. I really feel fortunate that we've had a few years of struggle and learning and, you know, having to figure some things out because that's going to allow us to grow that much faster, I think, going forward. So I, I think for any entrepreneur, you know, we don't have to obviously get into the details on stuff, but you touched on the stuff like the ups and downs of this stuff, lawsuits or yeah. whatever, whatever it might be. How is it for you on a personal level that you just kind of keep maybe the horse blinders on for sometimes, you know, or whatever it is, you just have stayed focused and just, you're just fighting through this stuff. You know, are there techniques that you do? Are there journaling or whatever it might be? that just allows you to sort of stay focused on what you're working on and not let some of these other things just be distractions and, and because the idea is good. Like what, what do you do on that? Yeah. Uh, in the end of 2016, uh, throughout 2017 and 18, I really started to invest heavily in my own personal development. I joined masterminds. I, you know, I was already in, interested in, into that kind of stuff, but I started reading more books. Mm -hmm. I really tried to expand my circle of influence in terms of people that were thinking this way. Uh, I don't know if you or your listeners are familiar with Brendan Burchard, mm -hmm. uh, but I attended his High Performance Academy. And that, subsequently, now we send all of our employees through, uh, through his HPA. I joined his mastermind. I became a certified high-performance coach through him. And, it, it, you know, there's other great people out there. I'm not trying to endorse just yeah. Brendan necessarily, but he's, you know, we've got the same name. And we, he's actually used to live in Portland. He just moved to Puerto Rico. But, and, he's a, and he's a really great guy. And what, what that did for me, a couple of things is like, you know, to, with that coaching, <clears throat> that insight, it's like when things are hard, you kind of go, oh, man, like this, why, like why me? You know, like that's the natural feeling. It's like, you know, why is this so hard? Or why is this taking so long? Or why can't I control this the way I want to control it? Versus when you can realize like the struggle is part of the journey and the struggle is really like how you become better in the journey. So one of his catchphrases is to honor the struggle. And so, you know, when I'm feeling that way, I try to shift in and say, instead of saying like, oh, why me? I, I have to start to tell myself and it's become much more of a habit. I mean, I don't really think consciously like this anymore, but it just happens where it's like how fortunate I am that I get to be that the universe or God or whatever <laughs> circumstance, whatever it is, mm -hmm. chose me to be the guy that gets to pioneer this therapy that's going to hopefully impact millions of people for the better, you know? And so it's a mindset thing. And again, I think, you know, success happens in the mind far before it happens in the tangible reality world. And the battle of emotion, the battle of discouragement happens in the mind and then, and then you've got to take action. I mean, right. at every step of the way, and you know, it's easy to play Monday morning quarterback and look back over a year and go, oh, I would have spent money differently this way or conserved or we should have done that. You know what I mean? It's, that's right. what you do. But at the same time, I can say with confidence that at every point in the business, I tried to make the decision not, was not based upon what was the most comfortable but what was going to be the thing that was going to put action that was going to make atoms bounce against each other and create some sort of movement because it's only in that that results happen. Apologize. I thought I had everything off. Didn't really. See, there's, there's always one. Even, <laughs> even if you, you focus on it, you try, there's always one. So. Sorry about that. But, no, no, but I, I mean, I think you got, you, you got to take action because every, everybody has great ideas. You know what I mean? It's like there is no perfect circumstance or timing or amount of money or whatever that's going to make it easy for anything good to happen. Like you got to just put yourself in the game right. and take action, you know? And, and I think, I think you just touched on it. That's a huge one for, 
for, I think a lot of entrepreneurs that just got started getting into it. They just, uh, if, if only I had this, if only I had this, if I had this, and it's like, you don't, you're never in the moment of just going, well, why can't you still be pr- successful without X, Y, Z? It's why I, I love crowdfunding so much because it proves viability. It proves, man, if you can't sell 500 units, you think you're going to sell five, you're going to change the world, but you can't sell 500 <laughs> of them or whatever it is. Um, yep. and, and that's a lot inside of, um, inside of reward-based crowdfunding. Um, I, I just love proving minimal viability because then you can start talking about the bigger dream. So let, let's pivot over a little bit to, you know, what's the conversations and the narrative around doing an equity crowdfunding raise? Why instead of, why doing that instead of going traditional investment um, and what kind of the mindset is and the decision-making behind that? Yeah. Well, again, I think necessity is a key driver on this. I mean, um, uh, you know, I started raising money I, in 2014, 15. I can't remember now actually, but you know, I've had different iterations. It's like, you know, you start kind of talking to local people that, you know, you get their feedback, what works, what doesn't work. Uh, I mean, we had a unique situation in which we had, we had the opportunity to buy the former licensee for this technology, which is a public company and over the, over the counter traded public company. And that's not something that I personally had experience with, but some people that I have relationships with have done this many times. And so, you know, through a series of serendipitous little relationships, we put $10 million of capital together to buy, to buy a public company, to do a reverse merger. Uh, they rejected that proposal, uh, which frankly would have benefited them and would have put us further down the path, but they rejected it. And so now it's like, okay, raise money. So I keep raising money locally, but you know, that's a slow process. So then you start talking to VCs or you try to, I mean, the process of trying to get in front of VCs or larger angel groups is not easy to do necessarily. And then, and then it's just a matter of getting your, your face bashed in because they're like, oh, well, it's a great idea. We wish you the best, no offense, but we'll never invest in it because checkbox, checkbox. It's right. like, it's very formulaic for them. And we are building brick and mortar businesses, which in today's world, people like software because it scales without the human component, you know, we don't own the IP. We just have a licensing arrangement for it. So there's like, there's like, tactical reasons why they won't invest regardless of whether or not it's a viable company or they like it or whatever. So because of that, we've been left raising money from angel investors and, you know, we've raised, you know, a couple million dollars one-on-one, you know, 25 to $50,000 a pop. And it's just a slow grind, but it proved that the, the, the individual doesn't have the same check boxes like an institutional investor Mm -hmm. does. The individual says, can I get a return on my capital? Is there a path to, to do that? Do I like the team? And do I feel good about it? Like, is my money going to go into the world and make a difference for somebody? Sure. And, you know, and so essentially, even though it's been through accredited angel investors that we've raised our $2 million, it has been kind of crowdfunding up to this mm-hmm. point anyway. Yep. Right. And so we're like, well, why not just accelerate that? And with this Reg A plus mechanism, it's a perfect mechanism to do it, really. And, um, you know, we can raise up to 50, five, zero million mm-hmm. in a year, which is a ton. Or not, we don't need you know, nearly that much. Our goal is 15. But the point is like you get into the market and you educate and you create fans, you create interest simultaneously to solving the problem that you need with capital. And now you've raised money with people for whom this is a relevant problem and will probably be customers, refer people. And you know, Mm -hmm. it's, I think, I think it's a very, very exciting time to be raising money actually. Once we, once we understand these, I think the rub for a lot of people is, you know, you know, you're not, a, you know, to be a, a publicly traded company on an exchange through the Reg A plus mechanism, it's really hard to create a substantial market, to create market makers, to, mm-hmm. to, to draw in the institutional investors that will make a publicly traded company 
long-term viable. So you see a lot of companies that do Reg A pluses, they raise a lot of money, they list on an exchange and then the stock price just falls out because they haven't really made a market. So we've been, we've been trying to analyze that and think about how do we approach that in a way. And we feel like we have a pretty good game plan, but time will tell. That's cool. That's cool. How about in terms of just like a general sort of marketing awareness for what's coming just on the, on the, on the crowdfunding side, is that something that you, cause I'm sure there's an education process attached to this, you know, outside of educating them just at what you do, but how yeah. are you sort of getting people ready so that when you go to launch, you, you know, obviously it's successful. Yeah. Um, well, a few, I mean, uh, uh, quite a few things. Again, the book will be kind of a key anchor to the marketing campaigns that we do give the book away. Um, you know, digital advertising through Facebook, um, and Google, you know, it's pretty easy. There's a lot of people that are searching these, these words. Well, that makes it also expensive. So you kind of right. got to be clear how do you, how do you position that? Um, and you know, the other thing that we're really trying to do is become sophisticated in our funnel building so that when we create some value, we give the book away or whatever, we're getting emails, we're getting names, and then it's not one touch and done. It's an, it's an opportunity for us to add value, to educate, to give some client testimonials and hopefully, you know, over the series of that education, win hearts and minds. Right, right. So for somebody thinking about, you know, going down the rabbit hole that you're going down, mm-hmm. you know, are there any sort of internal metrics that you're kind of thinking of or you're looking at before you go to launch? Like, hey, we want X amount of emails or we hope to have this many impressions. Is there just anything internally that you're looking at that would somebody else would take, some, uh, take, take that information and use? You know, um, we, I, I, could, I couldn't tell you that I had that right now. I mean, and maybe our, our, you know, our marketing consultants are looking more specifically at, at those key metrics like that. Uh, and I assume that they probably are. For me, it's more, uh, for me personally, it's more like if I detach an expectation to it and, and I just say like, we're going to do this. And if it takes six months or if it takes three years to get to our goal, it is what it is. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I can't, I can't control that anymore. All I can control is take, you know, do the best we can, learn from it, pivot, keep going, right, learn from right. it keep going. So for me, I, I haven't necessarily done that. And maybe that's, maybe that's a fault of, of mine that you just, you just never know. I mean, some, some people tie, you know, success to, to certain things or, or they're looking for something. So I, I think, but I think what you're saying is, is actually, there's a lot of value in that too, where is that your best use of your time maybe right now to just looking at numbers? Yeah. Oh, we did X amount of impressions today, or, you know, we did this, many, you know, and, and then all of a sudden you're tied into like, a Facebook number as opposed to like, no, I don't know. We had this many people come through or this is the actual tangible thing that happened. Cause as the guy who's inside of Facebook ads all day, I'm not sure. Maybe I'm getting lied to from Facebook half the time. <laughs> I got like 1200 clicks today. Nothing happened. <laughs> so, uh, but well, I, I will say this, you know, um, it's worth, it's worth investing in the people that really know this mechanism because it's a science and a process that the average person can't dabble in. And I mean, I've tried to run, I've tried to run ads, you know, and mm-hmm. boost, boost posts and things like that. And a pain is considered a discriminatory language because it <laughs> yeah. falls into their, their language policies. And so it gets rejected most of the time. And then, you know, unless you really know what you're doing, it's really hard to make impact. And if you don't make impact, then you think it's a waste of time and it's a waste of money. And so I've had those circumstances where I boosted something, it's got a few likes or whatever, but it didn't really translate into new clients or Mm -hmm. whatever. And so then I go, well, let me pivot back into something else like radio advertising. And that's more costly. And then I look foolish because I spent too much money in radio ads that aren't really doing much better. So yeah, hiring the right people really makes a difference. And I think, you know, yeah. Take, take, take a lot of word of mouth referrals because there's a lot of people out there that say they can do stuff, but 
you know, right, right, right. yeah, yeah, oh, definitely. That's that's out there. Uh, we deal with that quite a bit. So you mentioned mentioned like team, like what what kind of team are you looking at? Like how how, how have you built this team around you? Are there at, uh, things you were looking for attributes? What what were you trying to as you're building this this team around you? What were you looking for, people? Well, I, I co-founded the company with a medical partner, uh, again, a Harvard and MIT trained physician. And so I, you know, I felt like I could take the bulk of and have taken the bulk of the business side of things. He was there to help vet the technology and be the medical ambassador and help create the clinical protocols for what we do. And then as we've grown, um, you know, I've had, uh, I've had a, a part-time CFO and bookkeeper. Mm-hmm. Um, and as we've grown, it really fortunately, I feel really fortunate that, um, you know, I've never been in a position to have a big payroll to be able to go hire top talent. But fortunately, some people have found me and maybe they've had an exit in a business already. They've come to us oftentimes as an investor. They say, I really like what you're doing. And then as we've gotten you know, to know each other and they're going through their due diligence, it's like, well, you know, and so, our, you know, for example, we have a new CFO who's phenomenal. We have a new COO who's incredible. And both of these guys are investors as well. And they're working for, you know, minimal income right now because they see the long-term opportunity. Yeah, that's great. And, um, and it's, it's, been, it's been great. And then, you know, and that's, you know, like attracts like. So once you start getting a few of these, then it's like, who else do you know? And like, you know, it starts to, it starts to kind of snowball and build. Again, crowdfunding, crowd, crowd building <laughs> yeah. essentially, yeah. right? Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, where can people just dive into your world and learn more? How, how can people kind of get in, watch videos, read books, whatever it is? How do people find you and, and get into what you're working on? Yeah, the simplest website is radiantrelief.com. Uh, again, the company is called Radiant Pain Relief Centers. But if you go to radiantrelief.com, that's just a basically a landing page. You can sign up there and tell us that you you or somebody you know has pain, you're a clinician, you're interested in the Reggae Plus, you're interested in the book, whatever it might be, just check the boxes and you'll get put into the appropriate funnel. Um, so radiantrelief.com. Or if, you're, if you are a pain sufferer, check out radiantpainrelief.com, which is our main um, patient site and uh, our client site. And um, we'd love to try to help you. The first treatment is free. I mean, we create a very low barrier for people to come in. And even though we're only important, we have literally people flying to us from across the country, from Canada, Mexico, uh, a couple right. from Europe have come in over the years, and you know, it, you know, when when you're in pain and your life has been really robbed because of that mm-hmm. pain, it, it robs not only how you feel, but how you feel is the filter upon which you filter everything. So it robs you of everything. It robs you of productivity and joy and connection and you know function and um, you know to see people get their lives restored back is a beautiful thing to be a part of. I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. It's it's uh, it's got to be just an amazing thing to see somebody. Uh, just get their life back, you know, and, and, wow. and just start owning it again. So that's, that's awesome. And, um, and when do you guys think, I know with the shutdown, but do you guys have a, a sort of a timeline in your mind, in your mind that this is going to, uh, the campaign is going to be launching and stuff that people can be looking yeah. out for it? Well, we, we are taking reservations right now. So it's, you know, we can't, um, you know, we can't take investment dollars, right, but right. We, can take, we can take reservations. So if you go to those sites and you indicate, hey, I'm interested in the, in the, the investment opportunity, you'll be put in queue as a, as a potential investor. And then once it's approved, that'll be pushed out and you'll be notified that, hey, we're, we're live. Um, you know, we don't know. We have a, a, uh, our guy at the SEC that's assigned to our account has been pretty helpful. And he's actually called our law firm twice even while they've been on hiatus. So mm-hmm. they've been on furlough. He's gone in and without pay, you know, it's kind of kept us abreast. And one thing that's uh, hopefully a window of hope is that because the shutdown is closed the SEC, there hasn't been a lot of other submissions apparently coming in. Right. So the workload isn't really piling up too high. So once they are back in, 
back in operations, then hopefully it's a pretty quick process. We submitted back in September of, of 18, so we do feel like it's very close to get approved and we'll be off to the races. That's so awesome. Hopefully by end of Q1. Cool. Awesome. Well, Brendan, I appreciate you taking time out of your day. This was awesome. This was a great conversation. Okay. And uh, uh, I, I think my listeners are going to be totally into this and a uh, lot of stuff to unpack here. And uh, I wish you a lot of luck and success in the future. Thank you, brother. It's been a lot of fun. Appreciate awesome. the time. No problem. Man. All right. Thanks. Yep. All right. How about that interview? Brendan, thank you again so much for taking time out of your day to chat. Um, obviously, you know, they're, they're in a little bit of a holding pattern with the uh, shutdown and whatnot uh, since the SEC isn't working. So um, hopefully they get their campaign launched uh, as soon as possible and as soon as sort of uh, the United States, uh, you know, does basic stuff. You know, just that's all. Um, but yeah, so again, hopefully you enjoyed this interview. Like I said, please make sure you leave a review that, help, that helps us out immensely. Um, and you can obviously subscribe anywhere that you are listening to this. Uh, we are on all the major platforms out there, so make sure you subscribe and uh, and help us out there. And then, like I said, leave a review. But uh, all right, let's go ahead and kick it up some music, right? Let's hear some new music for 2019 here. What should we listen to? How about we listen to a song called Honey? And if you listen to the lyrics, you'll see why I've chosen this song, because uh, we wrote this song about somebody who was very, very sick back in the day. Um, and uh, yeah, so listen to the song. It's by the Sugar People. That's me. And uh, I hope you guys, again, have a great day. And make sure you tune in next week when we have another great interview. All right, guys. Talk to you all later. Trail that you're looking for is hiding. I keep on missing. Maybe it's because I'm out of veins. Get a little bit, little, little, little bit more. Find it, sunshine, sunshine, and more. Think I was a chameleon, changing for no good reason. Try